Since 1977, our guest today has been in Nashville playing bass, both live and in the studio, with a whole list uh, of who's who in country and rock music, including Don Williams, Trisha Yearwood, Emmy Lou Harris, Toby Keith, Neil Diamond, Billy Ray Cyrus, George Jones, Billy Joe Shaver, Ellen Jackson, Earl and Randy Scruggs, Dwayne Eddy, Asleep at the Wheel, Kathy Matea, Keith Whitley, Allison Krauss, Steve Winwood, Willie Nelson, Garth Brooks, John Hyatt, Ricky Skaggs, Adrian Ballou, Peter Frampton, Leanne Womack, Patty Loveless, and many more, if that wasn't enough. Uh, he has been president of the Nashville-based Local 257 of the American Federation of Musicians since 2008, succeeding longtime president Harold Bradley in June of 2010. He was elected to the International Executive Board of the AFM for a three-year term and re-elected again and again and again, and uh, he's still there. Um, he uh, was one of the AFM leaders in the forefront effort to reform airline carry-on laws, uh, which uh, have been uh, reformed thanks to him and the AFM's wet, uh, efforts. Um, in addition to AFM responsibilities, Dave Pomeroy continues to record, write, and perform in a variety of musical settings, including his annual benefit concert for Room at the Inn, a homeless organization. Please welcome Mr. Dave Pomeroy. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks. Glad to have you. How you doing today? Doing okay. Good, uh, good, good. You know, nice to see a little sunshine out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It's been a nice break from our winter freeze yes, we had a couple uh, weeks ago. Very, very, very <laughs> odd times we're in, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, not, not a lot of people uh, that watch our podcast may know really anything about the union. Um, so what... Um, what uh, what is the purpose of the union, and and what does it do for the average musician or the touring musician? Uh, is it for everybody? Well, it's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of it, it's it's kind of like a lot of things in life. You 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 get out of something what you put into it. Right. And and for me, I definitely you know I didn't really had never heard of the union before I moved to Nashville. And at some point early on, somebody who I respected said, "Hey kid, you need to join the union." It's like, okay, <laughs> what's that? Where's the where, what who? And so I went and joined and, and, you know, again, not really understanding what I was getting into, but what I've learned over the years is that the AFM is the only organization looking out for musicians as right. a group. Uh, it was founded in 1896. The Nashville chapter was founded in 1902. Wow. So we're coming up on 120 years. And things, you know, Nashville was always known as kind of a center of art and culture mm -hmm. with the Fist Jubilee Singers back in the 1800s. Right. Uh, you know, to the beginnings of the Grand Old Opry and all the educational uh, institutions. But the big bang of the music business in Nashville, uh, from my perspective, is in the 40s and 50s when DECA and RCA saw that hillbilly music was really happening, which was mainly discovered in, in East Tennessee and right. Bristol by uh, Ralph Peer right. recording the Carter family and those other folks. But as it had evolved and the Grand Old Opry came along in the you know 20s and 30s, by the 40s and 50s, there was money to be made, and the labels knew that. So when they came, they hired musicians to run their record labels. Hmm. Not sure why, but I'm glad they did. <laughs> um, and they, they, uh, Decca hired Owen Bradley, right. who was a great keyboard player, arranger, and, and you know, big band leader who right. was playing you know, every, every weekend at the Bellmead Country Club. And was like, sure, I can run a record label. 
And, and then Chet Atkins was hired by RCA. Right. And they basically said to, to these major companies out of New York, if you're going to come here and work with our folks, we're going to do it right. We're union members. They're our friends and our peers. And we're going to do everything on union contracts. And the, and the labels wanting to make money said, okay. And that really started the tradition um, of recording in Nashville a right-to-work state, or as we call it, right-to-work for less. Yes. Um, <laughs> To, to record and, and, and create this body of work that, that became a magnet for not only musicians, but songwriters and artists. There's no other place in the world since, since Tin Pan Alley in like 1920s in right. New York where songwriters can come make a living. Still. So, and, and musicians, you know, it's like these are parallel food groups. And, right. and from my very beginning time in Nashville, you know, I didn't really understand what songwriting was. I just knew what the Beatles were and wanted to be in a band like the Beatles. Right. I really didn't understand any other part of it. And and so as I began to learn that there are all these other jobs, like being a sideman. And so suddenly I'm a sideman for songwriters. And it's like it's a whole other world. And I was coming from a musically very complex bass solo kind of place mm -hmm. and into prog rock and jazz and all kinds of stuff. And suddenly I'm playing with these songwriters like Guy Clark and Billy Joe Shaver who only use very few chord changes, very few rhythmic variations, but tell these unbelievable stories. Right. And so it was a real wake-up call for me as a musician to, to learn how to play behind somebody. And then after I'd been with them for close to a year, I got the opportunity to work with Don Williams. Right. And that was the, the, you know, the best possible thing that could have happened to me at that time in my life. And I ended up being with Don for 14 years full-time nice. and then off and on for 34. And through Don, I learned about all these things, including the union. Right. I'd only been with Don a few months, and we did a show in Giant Stadium mm. in, in Meadowlands. And I'm like, man, I've made it. This is great. I can retire now. I've played a big stadium. And all these people were applauding for me. Well, for the guy that I was working for, but maybe a little bit for me. And, and so then about a month later, yeah, I'm sitting home. I get paid to do the gigs. Great. Come back home. About a month later, I get a call. Hey, man, turn on Channel 4. You're on TV. It's like, what? And I turn on the TV, and Casey Kasem's American Top 40, right. Don Williams had the number one country single that week, and, and unbeknownst to me, they had filmed the Giant Stadium show. So it was a clip of one song from the Giant Stadium show, and I got paid like twice as much as I got paid to do the gig, <laughs> and I got paid really good to do the gig. And then it aired again a month later, and I got the same amount of money again. And I'm like, so for me, it was like, wow, the union. Thank you. Yeah. And, and it was before people called it intellectual property. Right. But that's what it is, and that's what we protect. So that was a real, that was, to, to me, you know, was my understanding of, of, of what the union did. And then as I slowly, very slowly, got into demos and, and started to play in the studio, and then finally Don called me to work on his record. And, and you know, and I'm signing a union contract. I'm getting a master session, you know. And it was so incredibly exciting, and, and Don was just he was so encouraging in the most laid-back way possible and he gave me the best piece of musical advice I ever had when I was still trying to calm down enough to not play too much right and and he said he pulled me aside one night he could say he, he just said David you don't have to play what's on the record just don't throw me off and I thought man that is that's and I followed that advice the rest of yeah, my career. That, that's and, great and, advice. And really, and and the whole thing of playing the song, and 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 that's what Nashville is is really known for. Mm -hmm. Is you know we've got this incredible community of musicians, 
who can go do their own thing and improvise and play jazz and do all these other stuff, but they can also show up in the studio and, and within three hours cut as many as six or seven songs that sound like they each spent a day on each of them because right. of the skill set and the way that people have learned how to work together, the Nashville number system. But in the end, what the union does for all these folks is we make sure they're protected. So when Mazda wants to use Patsy Cline's Back in Baby's Arms for a two-year run of commercials, a 90-year-old violin player comes in to pick up a check for that record he played on on September 1962, got paid $58 back then. He got picked up a check for two grand, Nice. and he was a very happy 90-year-old man. I bet. <laughs> and, and so those kind of things, it's like the lasting value. But what I've tried to do with the union is to take it to a broader place because you know, there's a lot of things that don't fit neatly into, like our union agreements for recording and television are, are very clear and very good, and also mm -hmm. for commercials and jingles. But when you get in, the streaming world is, is the wild, wild west, and we've been trying to, you know, keep up with that. But for those, for those kinds of work, the union is the only way to ensure that your work is protected. Because otherwise, somebody's like, here's 100 bucks, thanks. And then the next thing you know, you go to the movie theater, and there's that song you played on, and, and you got 100 bucks. And it's like, wait a second. And so we, Nashville has been able to get, convince employers that the right thing to do is to do it on a union card. Like, I'm really excited that over the last few years, we have Dan Auerbach doing all of his stuff nice. on contracts. We have, we have Jack White back on board doing his stuff on contracts and Dave Stewart from the Arrhythmics oh, has nice. been here and he he just filed a ton of stuff all cuz the players go excuse me we, we can do this union right it's okay because we've established this kind of friendly union vibe where it isn't like hey you know man blah, 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 blah. none of that stuff it's it's no finger pointing no fist shaking it's all hey come on let's work together right. and as a bass player i've spent a lot of my life caught between somebody who's rushing and somebody who's dragging. And it's sort of like <laughs> negotiations are pretty much the same thing. It's like, right. you're over here and you're over here and let's see if we can find the middle. So, you know, it, it, the description of what we do goes a lot further than it used to. We spent a lot of time down on Lower Broadway over the last decade, working with the city, getting loading musician loading signs put up. Uh, then they come down because they want to expand the sidewalks and we work with them to and, and try to keep the taxis from messing with the musicians. Of course, now that's once again the wild, wild west. Right, right. And all the progress that we made, uh, we're going to have to go back and try to recreate. But right. uh, we were, you know, and we've came up with some affordable parking options. You know, we have, because of strength in numbers, we have ways to save people money. Right. You know, you could save AT&T, 100 bucks a year on AT&T. That's like, you know, more than a third of your union dues. Right. So we, to me, it's a value equation. The other thing that we have that, of course, lately has not been a, a factor, but we have a fully equipped rehearsal hall mm -hmm. with the drum set, grand piano, back line, PA. And that is definitely one of the more... Uh, you know, popular things that we offer because, you know, you could spend the amount of your union dues in one day down at SIR. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, and we love SIR. And when you got a budget, it's awesome. Yep. Uh, but, you know, for people to be able to come do things there, we do networking events like the Songwriter Musician Jam. Uh, so it's a little bit of everything. Where the union is not as strong is in the live engagement world. Mm -hmm. And, and, Certain types, like say, for example, when the Lion King is on the road from Broadway and they're doing a tour and they go to TPAC 
and sit down for a week or two. We get those kind of things on contracts, but as far as club work goes, again, it's a supply and demand thing, right. and and the club owners have all the ammo. Right. Uh, and so, you know, it does, and, and, you know, as we've learned, if you build up an audience, you can go play a club that's not giving you a guarantee and walk away with a really good payday. Yep. But only if you've done the front end work, and that's on you, because right. the club is not, other than putting an ad in the paper, maybe, the clubs don't really have to do a lot because right. it's really up to the acts to bring those people in. Um, for touring folks, it, it's, you know, we have some standards. They're, they're very low minimums that are a lot higher than they used to be. But just to say, it's, you got to at least pay somebody this much to take them out of town. Right. Um, but where it comes into play is when they go do something else and there's a problem. Right. Whether it's Saturday Night Live or the Stagecoach Festival in L.A. or something where there's a problem, then I have to jump in sometimes. Right. And, and I do jump in on things that are not necessarily officially part of my job, but just because I know they're the right thing to do, right. I'm going to do it. Right. <laughs> right. What, uh, what are some of the common misconceptions of the union? Well, certainly in a right-to-work state, uh, it's that every job has to be a union job. We would love for every job to be a union job, but that is not a requirement. Right. It's also not illegal in a right-to-work state to work with non-members. Right. In in you know in a in a non-right-to-work state, you could be brought up for a violation of working with non-members. Again, my whole approach to it has been much less. You got to do what we've always done, or we're going to bring you up in front of the board. You know, it's like right. that's just. We don't do that. Yeah. We talk to them and we work it out. Yeah, strong arm tactics don't always work. No, I, yeah. and I just, you know, to me, it's, 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 you know, it's not as effective in the long run either because it's really about in educating and informing people. Um, so I, I would say also that people, uh, you know, understand, you know, as we were talking about with the live stuff, that, you know, live gigs are most likely not going to have a union component. But if they do... Um, you know, the, we'll work with you and, you know, s sort things out. We've been actually, one of the things that we have changed is that we do actually now have a booking agency and a referral agency, and we do actually get musicians work. We were doing a really cool thing a couple times a month with uh, the Adventure Science Center, uh, you know, the planetarium place, and we're having musicians come over for an hour uh, kind of like a petting zoo where like a steel player will set up in the lobby of, of the Adventure Science Center and then all the kids coming in are looking at it like, like it's an exhibit. And they're like, what's that? Oh, man. You know, we've had all different people go down there with a lot of different instruments. And it's really, it's great because, you know, you're interacting with the public and right. it's a, you know, pays 150 bucks for a one hour gig. No, that's not so, you know, we're, we are in, in the, you know, the, the perception that we don't get anybody work is no longer true. Yeah. And we do try to, equitably distribute it to and, and not play favorites, right, you know, right, right. as, as much as possible. We also, part of our job is to get the right person to that right job. You know, if they want a classical guitar player, you don't send them a flat picker, right. You know, and, and, and that aspect of just helping musicians reach out to each other, you know, our website is, you know, we have these member profiles where people can build a profile, basically advertising their services, even saying, I will go on the road. I don't want to play weddings. You know, these, it kind of gives you a, a checklist you can do. And, and I think, too, it's just that it's some kind of elite club that it's really not. You know, we try very hard to be accessible and helpful. And it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, 
it's more than just making sure that people get paid and making sure that the union gets our fair share. We have, because of right to work, we have many people who will take advantage of us right. and use our services and not pay for them. And we really can't do anything about that legally. So it's just a question of, you know, karma. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's not cool that you're no, doing that. No. And maybe someday it will come back to you and you'll wish you'd done it. it but who knows? It, but it ain't going to be because... It usually does. It ain't going to be because <laughs> I followed you around and gave you a hard time. So so with um, with the pandemic and all, with no tours going on uh, in tw- last year or probably well into this yeah. year, um, musicians have to bridge... Uh, the way with live streams what is the union doing to measure the value of media uh yeah that's a a good question because obviously it's a whole new playing field uh we have developed we've had rates for streaming things Mm -hmm. you know because it's it's what we call a promulgated agreement where which we also have with cable tv because it's impossible to negotiate with all of cable tv or even anybody who represents anybody else because they don't and it's a a similar situation with streaming to where sometimes it's for the label and sometimes the label will pay it if there's a label involved but there's also a lot of independent artists doing doing things so we've come up with what we think are some fairly reasonable rates for this and we also have something called the music performance trust fund it's been around since the 1940s and uh, traditionally it was funded with record sales and a certain portion of record sales, uh, the, the labels would give to the fund. And, and the idea way back when was that records are putting live music out of business, which, of course, we all know didn't happen. Right. Um, but that was the idea. So as a way of creating a fund for musicians to get a paying gig. And so the traditional way has been that you find a co-sponsor and the Music Performance Trust Fund will pay half. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, and, the, and the sponsor will pay the other half. But since the pandemic and since in the last several phono negotiations, we renegotiated because the sales, physical sales mean nothing in terms of funding that. So we now have a piece of several of the streaming revenues. One is foreign streaming with a small percentage goes to the fund. So the fund is actually really well funded now, better than it has been in years. And so for the moment, while the pandemic is on, there's actually a program where the fund pays 100%. Of, of the streaming engagement fee. So there, and, and you still have to have a sponsor, but all the sponsor has to do is agree to, and it depends on the situation. In some cases, the sponsor pays everybody at the time of the performance and then they get reimbursed. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, and now, but usually it was, they'd get reimbursed 50%. Now it's 100%. And so I think the scale for one hour stream is, is like 110 bucks, double for liter. Uh, believe there is an H&W component of 22 bucks, so that would actually make it 132 bucks for a one-hour stream. The caveat on the trust fund ones that are fully funded is that it's a one-time only stream, and mm-hmm. it can't be archived. If it's archived, then there's an additional payment due. Right, if you want right. to do it for a month, it's 85 bucks an hour for the players. And you know, in some cases, an artist might want to do that, but the, for the trust fund to pay, the idea is that it's a one-time live stream and it's not being archived. Right. And so, you know, which for some people is a deal breaker if they're trying to build content. But for people who need money and don't have any, it's a gig. Right, <laughs> right. For sure. So, yeah, so, but, you know, obviously the touring folks, especially, you know, the, you know, the big tours, and anybody who kind of did what I had to do for a few years, and you kind of put all your 
you know, everything in one basket when you have a gig with an artist that's working a lot. You don't have a lot of opportunities to pursue other things, you know. And, and so for a lot of those folks that just suddenly, hey, the bus is stopping, get off the bus, they, they you know, because I, I knew from my 14 years on the road, every time you get on that bus and leave town, Nashville is still moving. Right. And you, you know, you're coming back into wherever the wheel turned since you left. Right. You, you, and, you and almost disappear when you go on the road. You really do. Yeah. And, and there was an, there's an art to that because yeah. I, towards the end, I would say things like, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I'm booked that day. You know, not I'm going to be in Peoria, you know. <laughs> and they'd be like, how about the next day? Man, I'm, boy, I'm sorry. I'm booked that whole week. But I just, you, you know, I wasn't lying. It right. was just saying, hey, yeah, I'm on the road, you know. Yep. And they hang up the phone. So, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to you know, help people figure out the streaming stuff. And we've done some fundraising things and, you know, it's obviously working as a new way for people to get things out, but it's also still, you know, who, how do you monetize that? It's really, you know, the, the Venmo type tip jar thing is really uh, been one of the better ways that people have have come up with. But, you know, I, I mean, I find it really interesting to see how different people are approaching it. Uh, I noticed recently that Todd Rundgren is doing a tour and it's like he, and, and I've had some other people do this too. Tom Paxton uh, was doing this as well, where they're doing a show, they're booking it like a tour and doing a, doing a new show every night or every, you know, four or five nights a right. week and, and only get, only sending it to certain areas. But, but the thing about it is we were talking about this last night. There's no capacity right. on the internet. So it's like, you know, if you can get, you might not be able to get 200,000 people in the club that you want to play. But you, if you work hard enough, you might be able to get 200,000 sure. people to watch your thing. Sure. You know, and I've had a couple of, of videos from my YouTube channel go viral and, and have like hundreds of thousands of views. Uh, and it's, it's, you just never know these yeah. days. And so I think it, it's, we're trying as best we can to keep up with it. But it's, it's definitely changing all the time. And, and we welcome the input from anybody who wants to, uh, you know, come with us with an idea. There are no dumb ideas these days, especially. Right, right, for <laughs> sure. So why do you think, like, uh, I, I've seen a lot. Um, I mean, fortunately, like here at Forks, we've, we've been employed through the, the whole pandemic, thanks to our, our boss, our owner. Um, but a lot of musicians have not. A lot of musicians have been struggling. Um, why, why do you think it's been so difficult for musicians to get assistance from local or federal sources? You know, I think, I think it's sometimes it's a pride thing. I think, I think we've discovered that people have a hard time asking for help. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of it is that, um, some of it is not knowing where to turn. And so, you know, when we've had situations come up, like we worked with a, a uh, group called Hope 20 uh, last year. In fact, we're still working with them where they, they applied for a grant as a nonprofit and have been paying bills for musicians who can't pay their bills. Right. And so they approached us. One of our members was, was part of this partnership and they approached us and they set aside $250,000 of the 1.2 million they got just for us and our members. And what we did, because the National Symphony has of course gone through this terrible period where they've been furloughed they were furloughed from July till the end of the year. Now they're on this stipend of $500 a week, which is a pittance compared to what they what were they making. Were making yeah. And, and uh, you, you know, so with, with all these uh, situations, you know, uh, Hope 20 was willing 
to set aside. So we took 125,000 and set it aside just for symphony members and sent them a separate message with a separate link and then 125,000 for the other members and just say, hey, you need some help. Don't be afraid to ask. This is confidential. These people will help you. Sometimes too, you know, I think there's a feeling of I put all my eggs in this basket and I don't know where to go. You know, when I talk to young musicians who come to town, uh, you know, and they come to meet and they want to talk about different things, I, I tell people all the time, you know, if you have a way, if you, if you know of a way that you can make a living that doesn't kill your soul or wear your body out, you can make a different set of choices about mm -hmm. the music that you want to pursue if you're not going hand to mouth from one tiny gig to another tiny gig mm -hmm. so that you can plan ahead, which is not always musicians greatest <laughs> strength, but you know, we're all different, right? You know, we're all different. And I mean, every type of personality type is in there yeah, in, in the sure. musician world. And some people are very secure. Some people are very insecure, but I think it's important for people to understand that even though you're not making a living, music still has value. And it still has meaning and and whatever we can do to help each other to get back to that point where we can get out and do these things that we want and need and love to do that's what we're going to do so you know we're we're trying to be more of a conduit of information rather than always the union this the union right, that. right, I, right. I think it's important so so it within the union there are several programs like for instance music cares uh, uh, the sound health, um, yeah. all of those, which which offer uh, benefits, uh, yeah, we do. assistance we, to to musicians. Exactly. Well, we have within the union, we have our emergency relief fund, right? Which once you've been a member for a year, you can apply for that. If you've had a medical problem that keeps you from working, um, you can apply for a gift, not a loan, of up to twenty five hundred dollars. Uh, and you can apply once a year. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've, over the years, I think we've, we've given out about $400,000 on that to people. And, and, you know, every situation is different. We have, a, and it's all totally confidential to mm -hmm. where nobody knows it's going on except these people on the committee who are sworn, sworn to secrecy. Right. So after the flood, we created a 501c3, which is different than the emergency relief fund, which is a 501c6 which means that it's for union members only. Okay. So a 501c3 is not only tax deductible, it's tax deductible because it's not just for union members, it's union members and non-members. Oh, okay. So we created that after the flood, we called it the Nashville Musicians Association Flood Relief Fund, and we raised about $130,000 and got $30,000, $40,000 worth of instruments that we gave away and gave away all the money. and. So it just been sitting there. So after the pandemic hit, we thought, well, we should reinvent that fund. So we renamed it the Nashville Musicians Association Crisis Assistance Fund. So we will no longer have to change the name every time something new happens. So if we get an earthquake, uh, you know, uh, we'll be okay. And and so we're still in the fundraising portion of that. We're at about twenty five grand. Uh, so we've got a ways to go, but that will be open when we get. We're gonna. We'd like to get a hundred grand. When we get to 50, we may stop and say, okay, and kind of treat it like a stimulus check thing where right. everybody gets any, if a thousand people apply, they get 500 bucks a piece right. and, and go from there. But uh, we're doing that. Music Cares is actually part of the Grammy organization, uh, NARIS, mm -hmm. but we mm -hmm. have a great relationship with them and I send people to them 
with discretion because they are really well funded right, <laughs> compared right, to right, us because right. uh, the Grammy Foundation is, is you know, pouring yeah. money. And we we actually right after the pandemic hit, we worked with them because they were so inundated with applications. We volunteered to help over, look over the applications and make sure that they were at least complete and get back to the and say, hey, you didn't you didn't include this and that right. you need to to save them time and money. And we did that for a little while. So. It's sort of like whatever comes up, we're going to try to help if we can. Um, and um, the other, uh, you know, and like, for example, the Opry, if anyone's ever played the Opry even once, they could be eligible for a, a grant from the Opry Trust Fund if right. they're having a problem. And, right. and so, and again, I try to only send people there who I know it's really legit and I know that they're running out of options. Right. And so, yeah, we're trying to, to do those things. And of course, Sound Healthcare is our own we we created our own exclusive blue cross blue shield health plan which which i think uh you know we've had a lot of people join the union because of that who aren't necessarily professional musicians but they're what we call industry professionals right people in a lot of them are you know sort of 55 to 65 and in that weird little gray area where they're, they're too young for medicare but and the affordable care act is maybe not good enough right. coverage wise so we or, we have three plans and and our group sound Healthcare, they also will consult with our members and guide them to the right plan even if it's the affordable care act mm -hmm. is what they need to do and so that's been something we feel really good about yeah and and you know because i mean i just to me it's i've already been very blessed i'm trying to pay it back yeah yeah <laughs> and in fact that was that was i've been a member of the union now for almost 10 years, I think. And that, that was one of the reasons why I joined because I knew that there were, there were health benefits, not really a group benefit, but kind of a yeah, group benefit. Well, that's how it started yeah. because when I was president of RMA Nashville, which is the recording musicians mm -hmm. division of the union, uh, before I was, I was a local officer on the executive board, but when I was president of RMA, uh, we, I was on the board and RJ Stillwell, who's the guy right. that founded Sound Healthcare, he came in and made a presentation that yep, I, remember I that. thought was yeah. incredible. Well, this was before that. He, he gave his presentation, but the president at the time just didn't really get it. He, yeah. he already had health care and he wasn't thinking about it. Right. So I waited an appropriate amount of time and I approached him and said, hey, I, you know, sorry the union didn't pick up on it, but I've, I've got 200 members of the RMA. Could we work with you and be a group? And so we started working with him then. And uh, then when gotcha. I became president, about two years later, one of my first calls was to RJ and say, man, okay, now I got 2,500 members. Yeah. And, and so he's been a, a, a real uh, boon to, to folks uh, who needed some help because that's a crazy world out there. Yeah, for sure is. Sure is. Um, so do you think that the pandemic can open up new opportunities to push for changes that would make touring more equitable and safer by negotiating contracts that cover things like uh, standardized pay for local support, uh, safer spaces, security, et cetera, things like that. That's an interesting uh, way of, of putting it, but absolutely. I mean, I think that it's this has forced everybody to think out of the box, and I know there's a lot of information out there about the safe reopening of mm -hmm. venues. And, you know, like, for example, HCA is working with the Nashville Symphony to work on the Skirmerhorn and look at everything, including the, you know, circulation mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's going to be uh, an opportunity, certainly an opportunity to kind of reinvent. I think the fear that I would have about that wonderful thought that you have is that people who are so desperate to work that they won't ask enough questions or, or maybe be careful enough and, and either put themselves at risk 
or take work that is really disrespectful right. in, in, in how it pays and what it means. And, and that's always, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the yin yang that we deal with every single day with the union. It's yeah. like, you know, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but that doesn't mean that it's right. And right. it might even be legal to fill up ocean way with, with 70 string musicians and then pay them the equivalent of what an independent artist would pay somebody who played on their record. That's going to sell a thousand copies. Mm -hmm. And then that's the soundtrack to call of duty or NFL Madden, you mm -hmm. know, and, and like, it's it's legal, but it ain't, but it ain't right. right. It's yeah. not right. Yeah. And and all I can really do is just point that out right. and, and, and try to do it in a friendly way and say, hey, if you ever want to not do that, I'd be happy to help you. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know that's been ongoing for a while now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been it's been uh, it, it's one of those things that uh, every now and then at two o'clock in the morning, I wake up and go, man, <laughs> if they would just do the right thing, I could sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so um do you have a prediction and we're not holding you to this of course but do you have a prediction as to when uh live music will return the way that we would like it to wow i'm not sure that's a question that has an answer but i think that it's safe to say that 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 we all want it mm -hmm. i think the hardest thing is going to be for everybody now that we're starting to come out of it for everybody to not throw the masks away and, and think that we're already there because we're not right. And you know, this may be airing a few weeks or months from now and, and we'll maybe be further down the road, but I think it's, it's, it's really tricky. It, 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 it's, I would say that it's going to have to start small and, and build up and, and, you know, and vaccination, uh, the vaccination speed is a huge factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I almost hate to put a time on it as much as just say that I would think by the fall, you know, we we should be looking at some sort of reasonably safe return to where, you know, maybe we're at a third capacity or a half. You know, I, 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 I kind of my, my semi-educated guess would be that it could be the first of the year before it really feels like it used to feel if yeah. it's ever going to feel that way again. Yeah. It's going to be. It's going to be very different, yeah. you know. And, I, and personally, I feel it's going to be weird for a while. Uh, well, it is, you know, yeah. and, and everything changes your perspective. You yeah. know, I mean, I haven't talked about this very much, but I, I, I got COVID. Yeah. And and survived, you know, yep. stayed home and 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 got through it. But you know, when I walk into a place and I I I, I feel you know I, I look at it differently because, yeah. you know, because I mean I tried really really hard to be careful and, and and got it anyway, and and it just sort of once you realize how easy that is mm -hmm. it's uh, you know you just kind of i look at things a little differently and i hope that eventually we're all going to be able to drop our guard a little bit and, yeah. and get back to those things you know uh, uh that we love you know i mean i'm elbow bumps are fine but i like hugging people yeah. i got no problem with that but you know and 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 you know theoretically i can't get it because i've had it but like theoretically ain't necessarily right um so dave what do you look for in a drummer ha well, I, that's a great question uh, here at Forks Drum, Drum Closet. <laughs> I should be very careful with what I say. Um, you know, I think the, the pocket is always important, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, there's also dynamics. And, and I think for, for me, you know, because of what, what I described earlier, where I suddenly went from the land of 
let's have another bass solo to like, <laughs> like playing so few notes compared to what I'd ever done before. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that I, it was really about, you got to get, if, if, and now if you're doing instrumental music, it's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. But when there's a sing when there's a singer and it's a, a song oriented thing, which a lot of the stuff I've done has ended up being that way. You know, it's like the, the drummer and the bass player have got to get underneath that per and, and it's a volume thing, but it's it's more, you know, like a drummer who can play a great groove at a low volume with the whole kit balanced to where you can stick a, a ribbon stereo mic out in front of that kit and get it all. And you can put a kick in a you can put a kick and a snare on there, but you really don't have to. So I think that's something that I appreciate in a drummer, especially like if you're having people over to your home studio, right? You, you know, and and you know, there I came through the era where where every drummer, it seemed like every drummer's job was to hit the damn drums as hard as possible <laughs> every time. And luckily, most of the time we were not in the same room, but right. a lot of times I was in the same room with a drummer who had been directed to hit the drums as hard as he could, and it would be like. You know, it'd be like one, two, three, four, and then I'd be playing the whole song without really hearing myself because the drums are just like everywhere. <laughs> but I think it's really, it's, it's just, it's like friendships, you know. It's just about being able to listen, to react. You know, I can remember one drummer who, you know, was a little further along in the ladder than me. You know, I was like, hey, man, can we, can we try this little thing? And he's looking at me and said, you do that. It's like, <laughs> okay, fair enough. And you could just go boom, boom, boom for the entire song, and I'll change up and make it not sound right. like you're doing that. That's right. fine. And and you know, and yet other people are like, oh man, you know, like like when I first worked with Kenny Malone, hmm. you know, one of the sweetest, most wonderful guys yeah. who I was totally in awe of, you know, I, uh, and and we're playing in the studio with Don Williams. I'm like beside myself. I'm just trying not to freak out, man. I'm in the studio with Kenny Malone. Oh my god, because I played with <laughs> stuff with Don before, but never with right. with the band, with right. the studio band. And ironically, the guy who had played on all the records up to then, Joe Allen, was on the road <laughs> with that, Neil that, Young that's at the time. Yeah. And so I got to get in there, but you know, and I'm and you know, I'm like, yo, Kenny, man, it's nice to play with you. And he's like, <laughs> and and he comes up and he goes, man, I really dig the end of your notes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> And I'm because I'm just thinking downbeat. This is two four downbeat, downbeat, downbeat. And he and what I and I was muting my note right as he was hitting the snare drum in that halftime feel. And oh, I'd yeah. never thought and it was totally unconscious. I'd never thought about it. it. You created. Space I was just for him. doing it. Yeah. And 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 I had first I had to figure out what he was talking about. And then a week later we started a band. Yeah. And in fact, Sam Bacco, who's wandering around here somewhere yeah. earlier, Sam. Poked his head yeah, I, I I met uh, I met Sam through Kenny, and yeah. we started a band called Tone Patrol. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, that nice. was, we did for like 10 years. It was just an absolute blast. We even got a, an award for Jazz Band of the Year. Nice. But, you know, it's like one of those things where Kenny is one of the quirkiest drummers right. ever, but it's all about the song. Yeah. It's all about the song. And, and, and like I say, you know, that does, I mean, if the song says go crazy, then go crazy. Go crazy. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that it all has to be contained and, and perfect and polite. Right. But I, you know, I mean, to me, I've done a lot of work without drummers in the kind of acoustic bluegrass world, but. You know, I, I love playing. I love playing with a drummer that's where we're just, it's just listening, listening to yeah. each other. That's yeah. the main thing is a drummer who's listening rather than I'm laying this down. Here's where it is. Y'all get with me. Right. I mean, that can work. And in certain styles, it almost has to be that way. But in the world where things are a little more fluid, it, it can be, it's so, it, it's just so great when the, you know, because the drums can be so musical and so appropriate and and you know and it's just like a bass player you play one wrong note and everybody's wrong right. you know so we all have a lot of responsibility uh we should use it carefully <laughs> but I, I you know drummers are are fun because we can always 
you know, we can we can joke a little bit. And it's just because it's, you know, it's like a friendship. It yeah. really is, even if it's just for three hours yeah. and you never see that drummer ever again. Well, well as the rhythm section, we're almost like brothers or, yeah. or siblings. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, That's uh, a good way of putting it. You know, absolutely. we we can we can uh, we certainly do our fair share of of jabbing at our siblings from time to time, but, yes. but we wouldn't be able to do our job. Family stuff. Them. Yes. So, uh, um, that's, that's... You know, there's, there's, uh, there's several bass players in town that I would consider brothers just because of how often we work together yeah. or, or, you know, how we interacted together out on the road or, or Oh yeah, and that's know. a big, the hang factor is yeah. right, Scott, you know, because oh, yeah. there's a lot of great players and people want to hire somebody that they want to hang around with. That's right. And a lot of times people don't, don't get that right yeah. away. And I've seen some wonderful players blow into town and be just too arrogant for their own good yep. up front. And you just, you got to ease your way into it, yep. you know, and, and find that place where you're comfortable. And, and it's really great. I mean, one of the lessons that I learned was you know when I started playing with with Don Williams and, and doing a few sessions here and there, the kind of people that I was working with really made it clear that everybody's ideas were welcome, that it was kind of an open floor. And if you had an idea, say something. And if it doesn't work, you don't take it personally. Right. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're a bad musician just because you had an idea. And I had to learn that it doesn't always work that way right? because I thought everybody was doing that. <laughs> and then I got into a couple of situations where the producer had some very manipulative things, even mm -hmm. tricks that, that he would do to kind of fool the artist that I had to, I had to kind of have somebody go, no, she's, he's kidding. He yeah. don't, don't really do that. Yeah. You know? And I was like, wow, that's weird. Yeah. I can't even imagine. But so you, you've got to be able to, and, and this maybe is a good place to leave it is I think any musician, regardless of what you, what you play, what instrument, the art is fitting into what that's, what your surroundings are is yep. fitting into whatever that is. And if that means it's like crazy beer drinking, honky tonk, fine, get that mindset. You, you know, it, if it means, contemplative barely playing great you know do what's right for the whole thing right. and 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 don't get too hung up in your own stuff yep because you know we all we all got stuff and we all think our stuff is great but it's <laughs> like sometimes it's better no and so i think just being able to and i i was very lucky to have a couple of good friends kind of nicely bust me for not quite really being up on reading charts and it's like dave you're trying to memorize those things don't do that yeah you're, you're gonna get caught I know you're doing it, but they're going to know if you don't learn how to read those charts. Like, oh, God, I thought I was getting away with that. <laughs> Thank you, Biff. <laughs> and, and so, you know, and I'm grateful for those things. And those, those people and people like that, like Kenny Malone, Biff Watson, Sam, you know, they're, they're just, it's like once you're in a band with somebody, you're kind of always in a band with them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I just think, you know, just being able to get outside yourself and, and really – Think about what the whole thing needs and not just what you need. And, and that's when the great music happens. Yeah. Because as great as it is to be able to overdub stuff one at a time and stack it all up, there ain't nothing like getting six or seven people in a room and yep. doing it all at once. It's, yep. it's still my favorite way to record. I, I, yeah. I think it always will be. Yeah. I hope. Dave, thank you for joining us, oh, and uh, it, it's been great talking to you. It's been a while since you and I have actually yeah. had a chance to talk. Absolutely. So. Well, thanks um, for uh, for asking me. And, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's I think it's great that you guys are putting this information out there and just letting people know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, there's nowhere in the world like Nashville. No. And we got to do everything. Everybody who understands that needs to do everything we can do to keep it going. Yep. 
because it is about respect. It's about mutual respect between employers and musicians, which doesn't happen right. hardly anywhere else on earth. And musicians in the music. Yeah, absolutely. And and putting the music first. Yep. I agree. Yep. Well, uh, th thank you for having me. I really appreciate absolutely. it. And uh, best to everybody here at Forks. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. You got it. Awesome. All right, folks. Yes, we, sir. Uh, we are open 930 to 6, Monday through Friday, and 10 to 5 on Saturdays. Give us a call, 1-855-FORKS. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time.